Hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's Brandon, and I'm back with the Life of an Average Joe podcast. I don't know how long it's been since I've heard that. And, and I, I don't know if some of you even know what that is. Matter of fact, I know some of you have no clue what that is. But that is the theme song from the original Legend of Zelda video game that came out for Nintendo. One of the best video games of all time to this day. I don't even care what the graphics were like or what type of graphics they have now. That game was unstoppable. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. I, I hope everybody's having a great day. Right now it's Mother's Day. Of course, this is going to come out on, on Wednesday, but I'll just say happy Mother's Day. I hope everybody, every mom out there had a good Mother's Day. Um, I just got done watching a movie called Greenland. Uh, it was on HBO Max. You know, it's one of these, you know, apocalyptic. Look, the story is not new. Nothing's new about this. This is asteroids are hitting the world, uh, hitting the earth. Um, they're coming in fragments, you know, different pieces. And finally, the extinction level asteroid, which is like nine miles long, hits the earth. And this family's got to try to find safety. There is nothing original about this movie. But we, we love that story. You know, we just, we, that's why they make these movies over and over again. It was okay. It, it was a little unbelievable. Not not the asteroid hitting part, but just how they got to this base. And I don't know. It's it's entertaining, but that's about it. So anyway, I, I digress. But today's episode is about video games. And I'm not talking about current PlayStation 5, online, Xbox. No, we're going to kick it old school. We're going to kick it to like what I like to call the the dawning of the video game era from going from the arcade games to the consoles and that of course being the legend of zelda and i'm you know i'm 42 years old so i've seen multiple systems throughout history i've had multiple systems and i still have one i have playstation 4 um i need to get some new games for it i don't game a lot i'm not one of these people that stays up late at night and games uh, on my breaks or my downtime. Occasionally I'll do it, and I, and I kind of wish I did it a little bit more. Um, I play the Star Wars game with Luke. It's too difficult for him, but he likes to, you know, slash guys up and stuff and use the lightsaber. <clears throat> so I need to get, um, God, my voice. I need to get uh, some more games uh, so that we can play. And I think eventually I'll get PlayStation 5 because I lean towards PlayStation. I'm not, I'm not an Xbox guy. I'm just not. So, but anyway, I digress. And I was remembering, I was thinking about some of the video games and the systems and, and just looking back at what I grew up in. And I remember my first system was in television. That's right. Mattel. It was Mattel that came up with Intellivision. It was the number one competitor to Atari. And Mattel released Intellivision, I believe, in like 78 or 79. I know they started developing it in 1977, um, but they released it in 79. It was discontinued in 1990, but over 3 million in television units were sold. This was a big deal. In, in the video game IGN, okay, in 2009, the video game website IGN named Intellivision as the number 14 greatest video game console of all time. And it was also Mattel's only video game console until they released Hyperscan in two, 2006, which 
is a whole separate story by itself. But Mattel was interesting because it had a little bit better graphics than Atari, in my opinion. Um, they had a lot more uh, smoother look. I mean, it was if you could picture this video game console, it was about the size of Atari. But it had the... No, they had no wireless games. It had a little telephone cord, basically, that connected your controllers to the system. And it had numbers on it, or arrows and directions on it, like a keypad. And a circle was your controller. And you could swipe these cards out. They literally were like plastic cards. You could swipe them out for different video games. So if a video game needed letters and numbers, you would swipe the card in there for the letters and numbers. If it needed arrows or buttons or whatever, you could swipe that card in there. And then you could control it with like your finger, almost like a mouse, but it was a, it was a circle. It's the weirdest thing ever, but it, but I remember it being very, very cool and very different than Atari because it was definitely Atari's number one competitor. And it was a big deal. Um, it had really good graphics. I mean, at the time they had the games that came out. And, and, and you got to remember, this is 1979, okay? So when they released it, and introduced it, I should say, to the world in Las Vegas at the at the center. The master component price was one hundred and sixty five dollars, which is nothing now. But they revised it and added more to it, and you could get it for two hundred and fifty dollars. That was a pretty pricey system back in the day. Now, I mean, you've got PlayStation Five going for like you know seven hundred dollars or whatever. Um, but it was a big deal. J.C. Penney was one of the number one distributors for this. It was in their catalog, and you could get it with seven cartridges. They had different packs. It was listed with the individual system, and then it would come with one or two games, and then you could come up with seven cartridges for $275. Big deal. I mean, this is a huge, huge system. And I had that back in the day. And we had games like Blackjack, Las Vegas Poker. You know, nothing really exciting. Um, we didn't have Pong, but we did have um, tennis, uh, the Olympic Games, things like that. All the major gaming systems, or not systems, but, um, you know, like Bandai, who makes a ton of games. Uh, Sears did a super video arcade game. Sylvania, all the all the big names companies, I should say, that made video games jumped on in television back in the day. And I remember staying up late and playing this. I mean, I, it was a big deal. My dad was very adamant on how important, like, you don't mess with this. This is super expensive. Um, I remember getting new games for it. We had Major League Sports. So it was like baseball the guys would walk up to the bat and you could hit the ball and then maybe you could catch it. Um, they, they, would, they had two players. You could play against each other. Racing. Um, what else? They had space action, <laughs> which was basically you flying, shooting asteroids, things like that. Um, sea battle, B-17 bomber. Very basic games, you know, maybe five or six levels. Nothing complex. You just play for a while. It was, it was essentially going to the arcade but bringing it to your house. 
And you could beat the games. I mean, you wanted to go through and, and, and have success and, and win like that you do at most games. But this wasn't like a game where you had much strategy. It was just an arcade game. Pass the time, have some friends come over and all that. Um, and, and I remember when they added the keyboard. The keyboard component, which is called the Blue Whale, uh, or the Intelliputer, in, in that added a whole different thing because what the keyboard did was it added the learning aspect. You could learn French. They had Jack LaLanne's physical conditioning. They had a spelling challenge. And then they added things on there to try to fit it into the, to the family to make it more accessible so that families would buy it. They had crossword puzzles, uh, different segments or different levels of crossword puzzles. They had geography and then they had family budgeting. There was actually a budgeting program on Intellivision, so it made budgeting easy, and you could use the keyboard, but it kind of made it a game, so you could teach the kids, and so they tried to do a lot, and Intellivision really tried to, to stand out from Atari. Um, of course, we all know that once they started to get in, and, you know, into the Intellivoice add-on, so this was a speech synthesizer, and it produced different speeches. So you could have the, you had a male and a female voice, and then you could do different accents, and then they had different languages, and then they had robotic voices that you could tie into the game and tie into um, learning. And those games had like Bomb Squad, Tron was a huge one, Space Spartans, B-17 Bomber. Then they released the Intellivision 2 in 1983. And I say that because it was, it was huge. I mean, they were, and television was dominating the market. And this was 1983. I was born in 78. So when a television came out the first time, I was a little kid. So when I first, I mean, I was a baby. I didn't even know what video games were. So when I started playing in television, I was very young. And then when I got the Intellivision 2, it was a white system. The controllers were a little bit bigger. They kind of put the cartridges on the side than on the top. It almost looked a lot like the original Nintendo, or at least the design for it. It was cool. It added a, a ton of new graphics to it, ton of new features. Um, not a whole lot more than just a redesign. I mean, of course it went to you know, a 16-bit system, 12-bit, stuff like that uh, for different games. It had a, I mean, I could get into all the schematics of it. But it didn't sell as well. And Atari was, was back on top. So they cranked out Intellivision 3. And Intellivision 3 was supposed to be the one to put Atari out of business. And it came out with all kinds of new graphics and new things that you could do. Um, however, what happened was the economy was tanking. Nobody had the money to go buy these things. So they crashed. They just couldn't keep up. Um, they tried to come back again. And, and by this point, when they came out with the next in television, which they didn't even call it that, they called it the INTV. So basically it was a lower, they, they lowered the cost and they tried to connect it to like a VCR type system. It didn't work. Then they came out with different products. Tutor Vision, which was all about learning. It was like a computer for kids. Didn't work. And they crashed. They went out of business. 
But those Intellivision games were so smooth to play as a child compared to Atari. Unfortunately, Atari just dominated when cranking out games. So Intellivision, in my opinion, was a better system from playability. Dude, the Atari had loads and loads and loads of games. And there was a dry spell for me. I remember hearing about new video game systems coming out and Nintendo, the original Nintendo system, which to me is one of the best systems of all time. I remember that coming out, or at least, you know, thinking about coming out, and it was just down the, um, you know, months away, years away, and I knew it was going to be outrageous compared to the Intellivision, but at the time, once I lost the Intellivision and once we didn't get Atari, I didn't have anything. I had some handhelds that we would have. Um, They were really bad handheld games, too. Awful. Put some batteries in and you play like one game. They had like boxing, wrestling, really generic stuff. And you could you could play it for a little while. They never really worked very well. But the Nintendo console came out in Japan July 15th, 1983. It didn't hit the States right away in 1983. It was, of course, over in Japan. Now, when we started to hear about it, and getting all the feedback on the different, you know, video games, uh, magazines, and, 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 and the news, and it finally hit the States. This was a big deal. Because the average cost for the Nintendo system back in the day was really only like 100 bucks. And they thought they were going to make it, they were going to make it affordable for everybody. They wanted it to be affordable. So they changed the market from being like an outrageous expensive system to come in with the hundred bucks basic system, which came with one controller and the dual games, Super Mario Brothers, the original and Duck Hunt. Or you could get it with just Mario Brothers. Then it would come with the two controllers, the gun and two games. And that was like the big deal. And that's what I had. I had the, the, the gun where I could do Hogan's Alley, which was essentially a cop game. It was almost just shooting practice. You would literally have these little targets that would pop out, or you would hit the streets, and you'd have bad guys pop out, and you had to shoot them. And then you had Duck Hunt, of course. And then Mario Brothers, the original Mario Brothers, for 100 bucks. When Nintendo, When I played Nintendo for the first time, that changed everything that i forgot about in television i forgot about atari and i just remember playing that going nothing can beat that this is amazing and 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 not only did you stick the games in and push them down and close it like a like a movie this little this little system was so compact and you just had a and b and then your arrow keys and nintendo's games i mean they had they were cranking out games because they'd already, you got to remember, they had already had those games in Japan. But now they were hitting the States and they were dominating. And like Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda came in a gold cartridge and was the first game that you could save your progress on. As a kid who would inevitably have to stop playing because they were getting yelled at, go to school, get grounded, saving your progress on a game is huge. Otherwise, you got to start from ground zero again. 
like Mario Brothers or Super Mario 2. You had to start from ground zero. Actually, Super Mario 2, I think you could save it, I think. But that came out after Legend of Zelda. But like Contra, all those games, Metroid, you couldn't save anything for a while. Legend of Zelda had it where you could save it. And not only could you save it, you could save multiple games. So if I started a game under Brandon, and let's say my buddy came over, Joe, Joe could have his own game. It was unreal. And Zelda was a game that had an expanded universe. It was the first free-roaming game. I mean, yes, you had to go on a mission and do stuff. But there were, you know, like, you could only go to certain places if you had certain you know, items. Zelda had this sprawling universe where you could go into caves and go into dungeons and you couldn't get here yet, but you had to figure out, what do I need to get through this? It had secrets everywhere where you could literally explode the side of a wall or side of a mountain and walk down the stairs and you'd find coins or a secret shop or get a new sword. I mean, this was a game... That wasn't like Mario where you just had the, the basic same worlds over and over again, for the most part, to save the princess. This was a game that like you had to put some thought into it. You had to fight the bad guys. You had to collect things and, and upgrade. Zelda was ahead of its time. I mean, when Nintendo came out, they had other games that definitely surpassed Atari, surpassed in television. But Zelda surpassed everything that Nintendo came out with because of what you had to do. And then since then, of course, it's, it spawns off numerous, numerous games. And I mean, that was, what, 35 years ago? The gold game? I'm 90% sure that that gold game came out 35 years ago. And nobody remembers, or nobody thinks about it, but that gold game now is going for like 50, 60 bucks. It came out in 1986. 1986, and it was for Nintendo Entertainment. It was obviously developed in Japan first. But here you had this game that took like Lord of the Rings, role-playing. Um, it had a whole overworld, outdoor maps, different environments, different enemies, secrets, um, dungeons, monsters. I mean, all kinds of stuff that you had to do in the game and it was one of the most highly rated games in the history of Nintendo it was the first time that they came out and they created a, a book a strategy guide or as I like to call it a cheater's guide but a strategy guide to show you where things were how to do certain things it was a 32 page book and eventually became a Zelda newsletter because there were all sorts of secrets in that game Nobody ever topped The Legend of Zelda, in my opinion, for Nintendo. They didn't. I mean, from it sold a million copies on its first day in Japan. On its release in the United States, 1.6 million copies. By 1988, 2 million. It sold 3 million by 1990 and eventually 7 million copies worldwide. 7 million copies. And this was before Genesis, 
before the horrible Dreamcast system, before PlayStation. One game, Zelda. Unreal to me. And I just don't think that nowadays, I mean, I know we hear about Call of Duty and I just talked about my stupid Minecraft, but I don't think nowadays the games even compare to what they were back then. On a graphic level, you can't, you can't change it. It's, it's, I mean, you can't compare. On a play level, you can't compare. But the releases, the mainstream releases, now it seems very divided. I mean, you have your GameStop, but with Toys R Us being gone, KB Toys being gone, it just doesn't, you can just order your games, or now you just download them. Back in the day, going to Toys R Us in particular, I had two aisles. Eventually it was one, or in the beginning it was one aisle. But they had two aisles of video games. And they would show a picture of your Legend of Zelda, Mario, when Mario 2 came out, eventually Mario 3. Genesis had all their games. Castlevania, which is still one of my favorite games of all time. All Castlevanias. I love them. Um, you know, Altered Beast, Metroid. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other games that we had. Contra. Oh my God, Contra is so good. Up, up, down, down. Left, right, left, right. BA, BA, select, start. That is the code for Contra to get you 32 guys. Anyway, so I tell you that. Um, still remember that to this day. There was also a code in the original Mario that you could skip levels, and I don't remember. Or you could get like eight guys or something. I just don't remember what it was. But you go down Toys R Us as a kid, and you want to buy a game. I think the average cost for games were like $25 or something, or, or maybe $10. I don't. I don't I don't even know how much they were. I feel like they had to be more than that. Like actually they may have been they may have been like in the forties and fifty dollars. I, I don't know. But anyway, um they would have these little tickets. So let's say you wanted to go get Final Fantasy or Mega Man, that was another huge one, and you go buy it. Um you pull the ticket out. If there was a ticket there, they had a game there. If there was no tickets there, there was no game. And then you would walk to a separate section of the store. It was like going to a bank. And they were all locked behind this, like, plexiglass where there was somebody behind the counter. There was two doors to get in. You know, you had to have the security clearance. I mean, it was like a big deal. And they'd give them the ticket. They'd scan it. you pay for it. And they'd grab your cartridge and give it to you. It was a big deal. And I remember a kid just looking at all those video games. And I remember, I think I said this in my other podcast, when I couldn't afford the games, I would hide those tickets, thinking that it would always save me like a cartridge, like, ooh, I hid this ticket, so there's at least one of these video games left. You know, Super C, Contra 2, there's still one copy. Little did I know I was stupid, and they'd either find the ticket or just print up a new one. But if you didn't have those that ticket to that game for that game, that game was gone. And there were games that were gone for months. And I mean, I remember like parents and kids like looking everywhere for those games. But Legend of Zelda was one of those games that it sold out so fast that if you got it, you better be lucky. But they had games from $10. They had $10 games. And then they would go all the way up to 60 bucks as they got, you know, 
better and later in the Nintendo systems. But on average, they were between $30 and $40. I, I mean, but I remember the, the specials. You could be like, oh my God, I got the original Castlevania for $10 one time. Nowadays, like you get, an, you get a PlayStation 4 game for 10 bucks, you got to download it. They don't even give you the cartridge. And I know they got those specials, but it's not the same anymore. It's not the same as going on the hunt or when the releases were big. Like somebody told me like, hey, they're releasing, uh, you know, another patch to put on this game and another download. Man, when they released games, when they released Super Mario Brothers 2, they had a float in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Mario had a freaking float. Nowadays, you don't got Mario in there. You don't got Samus from Metroid or, I mean, you might have Pikachu in there, but. They, Mario was in the Thanksgiving Day Parade as a release for the new Mario Brothers. And then when Legend of Zelda 2 came out, which, which actually was not as cool as the first one, they did a big release, a midnight, a midnight release at Toys R Us. People were lined up. And they would just let you in. And if you didn't, you didn't get a ticket, you didn't get that game. Now it's like, it's so easy to buy games. Now, I do know they're having a hard time with the PlayStation 5s out there. Um, of course, that was released, I believe, in the middle of the pandemic. But I'm, I, I feel like after I bought Genesis, I kind of, and, and, and after I had the first PlayStation and the second PlayStation, I kind of fell off the wayside. Then I got the third one and it broke. And then I got the fourth one for Christmas. But at the time, I mean, I had Luke and I was working so much that I just didn't play it. I mean, I still have video games for PlayStation 4 that I haven't even opened yet. Some wrestling games and things like that. But I'll never forget playing the Nintendo and the PlayStation for the first time. And when PlayStation came out, I was hooked. Here we had a CD. Way better graphics, better controllers. And to me, I never looked back at Nintendo. I don't care about Nintendo 64. My buddy Ken liked Nintendo 64. I had fun with it, but I didn't care. I was hooked on PlayStation. Genesis was still cool, but I was hooked on PlayStation. So once I made that to the place, once I made that jump to PlayStation, I never looked back. I never got the Switch. I never got, you know, I got one Game Boy back in the day, but I never cared about anything else because PlayStation was the next level. And to me, it's probably the same reason I don't like Xbox because I'm a PlayStation guy. But what are some video games that you remember? I mean, do you guys remember, you know, Asteroids? Do you remember getting Mario Brothers 3 or, or Contra 3 or, or when, when Mario Brothers or Nintendo came out with Nintendo Sport and they had that big giant pad that you put on the floor and you danced and jumped on it and ran and, and it had, they had the Olympic Games and it kept, your, kept track of your speed and all that. I mean, what was some of your video games? Because I look back and right now and I'm thinking of Legend of Zelda and that's all I want to do is play that game and hear that music and go find the Triforce. I mean, what do you guys remember as far as, as video games? Or did you even care about video games? Were you more into the arcade game? Were you a Nintendo person? A Genesis person? Did you actually have Sega Dreamcast for the two seconds that it came out? Or did you just get into video games later in life and you don't remember these? You know, in Frisco, they have the National Video Game Museum and it's a great place. I haven't taken Luke there yet because I, I don't know if he's old enough, but I definitely want to go to it. 
and I've yet to go. So I may make a trip there if it's open. I think it is. Um, but they have to do some really cool things. Plus, of course, Gearbox, uh, which is a big video game uh, company that I've, I've worked for for a little bit, um, which is a pain in the butt, but and a long story. But um, uh, they are headquarters in Frisco. They have uh, they have a location in Canada too, but they are headquarters in Frisco. Frisco. I know they just sold the company to I forgot who, but uh, they're still in Frisco. But the National Video Game Museum is here. And they've got a history. They've got some original games. When Mario celebrated his birthday, they had a big event there. Um, so I'm, I'm, I want to check that out, and, and maybe I'll do a podcast from there and, and do a second part to this and talk to some of the guys there. But leave me your, your message. You know, I just was thinking about podcast or thinking about uh, video games, and I wanted to do a quick podcast. So we're kicking off season four with a under 45 minute podcast talking about video games just going down memory lane asking you guys what your favorite video game is um i'm going to be back on may 22nd uh i might do another podcast in the middle um my buddy ken unfortunately is in michigan so uh, maybe i'll do a remote podcast with him one day so we can talk about his book but we've got a podcast live from three nations brewery on may 22nd uh, watching the Missing Three band uh, perform, my buddy Joey. So maybe we'll get Joey on here. But we're going to do a podcast. We get the Knights of the the Bar Top back together, May 22nd, Three Nations. And I've got some other awesome, exciting stuff uh, going on for the life of an average Joe podcast. New platforms, some uh, some new things that we're doing here. But I just wanted to do a quick one on video games and kind of touch bases, remembering in, in television and those first few moments that got me into the video game world. What were your first moments, you know? Uh, leave me a message. You can message right here on Anchor, uh, Spotify. You can drop it on Facebook. Or you can email me, bknovara, N-O-V-A-R-A, at gmail.com. You guys have a great day. Uh, I hope everybody had a great Mother's Day, and I will see you soon. Thank you again.